Right, sure. What an amazing time of worship. We could have carried on. I was hoping we were going to carry on so I didn't have to preach, but I guess I'm preaching. <laughs> um, we just want to give a sec for all the parents to come back. Are you guys good? Are you ready for 412? Man, I'm so excited. And you know, Lisa, where, where are you? There she is. I mean, isn't it amazing? You guys, we just got to go 45, down the, 45 minutes down the road. Lisa, how many hours did it take you to get? How much? 18 hours to get you. Uh, that's amazing. And I'm sure there's sacrifice involved. Are you here alone? You, you got church family. But I mean, you from your family, are you the only one from your Amazing. Amazing. And you said you from which church? Josh Jenin. South Carolina. And how long have you been there for? Three months. Three months. <laughs> and she's coming at 412 across, across from America. I mean, that's amazing. So guys, if, you, if for some strange reason you didn't get there this year, there's no excuse because I'm going to get Lisa to phone you. Okay, so for next year, <laughs> she's going to phone you and say, why aren't you coming? Yeah, but I'm really excited. I'm really trusting that um, as the guys spend time with the Lord that that we really hear from the Lord. You know, when, when uh, as we've been, who have you been, who have you, now be honest now, who have you have been feeling really challenged by this as church? Okay. Only a few of you. Well, then, then they're, they're further down the road in their salvation than I am. But um, I mean, that's been amazing. And, and how Andrew is actually talking about they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And that's what 412 is really about. It's, it's where we come together as 412 churches, Josh Jen. And four, it's, how many, is it over 4,000? Last time it was just on 4,000? Yeah, now? About 4,600 people. And how quick did those tickets go on Monday? Um, and so you've got 4,000 people coming from all over South Africa and, and, and all over the world coming to hear what Jesus is going to say to us as a movement, as a church. And so... I'm really excited about that, but it's, I know when you come away from 412, it's so challenging and there's so much to digest, and I'm still trying to get some of the stuff right that I heard last year. <laughs> so I said, Lord, just, just hold on. Give me, give me some more time so that I can get all that stuff going before you, you sort of give me more stuff. But it's amazing to sit under the teaching, and last year was absolutely amazing, and so we're looking forward to this year. And, and um, so I'm really excited about that. But right, I really want to do, uh, focus on tonight and just coming off the back of what Andrew was te- uh, uh, Adam was teaching last week and also a little bit into and out of what Andrew's been saying this week in terms of this is church and why the church. And, you know, there was a person uh, as we had the first meeting and it kind of struck me. We were talking about different churches and, and that some churches are healthy and, or some churches are not healthy. He was talking about how some churches are dead. Some churches look like they have life, but they're actually dead. And then he was talking about how, um, you know, sometimes we think we're healthy and we're actually not. You know, my wife was always moaning at me and saying, you need to go for a checkup. And I'm like, why? You know, I feel healthy. She says, because you're getting old. It's like, <laughs> you're only as old as you feel. But uh, you never know, and sometimes, to be honest, I don't want to go for a checkup because I'm scared that I, what I might find. And so, uh, so even at work, our guys are, um, uh, our CEO is very concerned about the health of our employees. I don't know why. I mean, it's a good thing, but um, okay, he wants them to stick around for for a lot longer. But so we had these these blood tests. So we've got blood pressure, and you go for a, uh, your blood sugar level and all the rest. And it's amazing how how when you now, we're sitting in his office. Now, often, he, he actually said this. He said, you know, often people will go to a doctor and because when you go to a doctor, you're quite nervous. And so then they take your blood pressure reading and they say, you've got high blood pressure, but in actual fact, you're just nervous. And so probably sitting in an office with, with an employee taking your blood pressure was, you know, would be better. And so it seemed that way. And I was like, oh, I don't really need to go. You know, I, I feel healthy. Anyway, so, but when I sat down in the chair, it's amazing how I started to feel nervous. It's like, what are they going to find? You know, what is, what, is, what is my blood sugar levels going to look like or my blood pressure or whatever? But thank the Lord, it's, it's still relatively good for now. But my wife won't let me go. She's going to tell me that I continue to need to go for checkups. But what Andrew's really been talking about is exactly that. Huh? You what? That's a, good, that's a good wife. And the Bible says a man who finds a good wife finds a, a good thing. So 
Yeah, I don't, I don't call my wife a thing, but, but the scripture says she's a good thing. So <laughs> I didn't say it, God did. <laughs> but she's good, and I love her lots. Um, and so that's what Andrew's been talking about really is, is, is this thing of, of what, what is a healthy church. And, and we know that the church is made up of people. And, you know, uh, somebody made a comment in our, and she, she's sitting, I won't mention her, but it was a great comment. And she's new to us. And uh, she's been learning about God and Jesus and, and church and all the rest. And now we're going through the seven churches. And I think there was only one that he said was, was relatively okay. Uh, there was two that were relatively okay. And he said the one, actually, you're a model, a model church. And um, this person at the end of it, we were talking about this whole thing about church. And, and often Andrew says, you know, you drive past the church and you think, oh, well, there's a church. God must be there and it must be healthy. And if you ever want to sort of sort your life out or find a ticket to heaven, then you, I suppose you've probably got to belong to one of those, those buildings. And he says, you know, he says in, in, his, in his teaching that, you know, we know that the church is not a building. And so this person said, like, after hearing all this, he says, I didn't know that some churches are wrong. <laughs> so we said, no, you know, it's, it's not a case of wrong. But, I mean, you can just imagine hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, like, I just thought all churches were great, you know. And so the question is, how do we know that we're part of a good one? A healthy one or a relatively healthy one. And so I just love that comment because, you know, often we just, we just assume things about buildings or churches or whatever. But it, this, this teaching has been really good. And I think it's not so much as even as leaders we're asking, are, are we building? Jesus, are we building the way that you want us to build? Um, you know, is it healthy? And, you know, what does it look like? And, and so coming off the back, I'm going to put my password in here again. <laughs> ah, there we go. And so, just in terms of going, in, 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 in terms of what, what we've been learning about and going into the foundations, and Adam, you know, I really moan, I moaned at Adam. I said, Adam, why do you have to preach before me? Because you're such a tough act to follow. I mean, I, I can't preach like you. It's like, Adam just stands up and just rolls, and, and truth rolls off his tongue. Um, so I'm going to do my best tonight to, to do a good job of, of what I believe God wants me to share. But it was amazing just to, to, look, to think, be reminded again about, you know, uh, Basil said we need to go. He spoke about who am I, send me. And I know all of you put up your hand. And so everyone's going to Brazil. <laughs> but there's this thing that God says we need to go. It's not just the pastors, preachers, teachers, and evangelists. It's every one of us we need to go. And what does he say? We need to go and What? Make disciples. And he said it's not up to, to the leaders, preachers, teachers, and evangelists to make disciples, but it's, it's every one of us that needs to go and make disciples. And so we know a disciple is someone who follows someone else, who models their life uh, after somebody else. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, okay, well, so if we have to go and make disciples, what does that look like? What does a disciple look like? And what do we have to model? And now we know that Jesus is the model. But what does that mean for you and me if we are going to model, going to make disciples? As Paul even said, as we heard from Andrew when he was teaching in, in, in This Is Church, and he says, like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He also says, he, he, even the, the sufferings that Christ sort of, he takes up the sufferings of Christ in his own body. And it's like, we don't want to hear about suffering. You know, Jesus said he came to give us life and life in abundance. That's what I want. I don't want suffering. But we, we begin to learn that even that is part of being a disciple. And so I was thinking about this and I was saying, Lord, well, what does that actually look like? And so, you know, even in Hebrews 10 verse 23, even us as disciples flowing from what Adam said, 23 to 25, it says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let's, I love this, let's consider you and me, all of us, let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds not abandoning our own meeting together as, in, as some are in the habit of doing, but, eagerly, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. What is that day talking about? Who knows? As the day is drawing near. The coming of Christ, right? And so he's talking about, and even Andrew was talking about how, how we must not neglect the, the gathering of the saints as we get together. But he says there, um, consider how you and I can encourage one another in love, part of being a disciple. And so we're reminded that making disciples is what Jesus calls each of us 
to do, no matter what stage of life or level of maturity or where we are in our walk of faith. It's not just the job of leaders or churches. Jesus says every one of us, every one of us must go make disciples of all nations one life at a time. And I think somebody mentioned that even in the prayer meeting before, we go and make disciples one life at a time. That's for you and me. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, and the great thing is, you know what? We don't have to do this on our own. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as much as we are to go, we see even people like Lisa and thousands of people coming from overseas here to learn, to grow, to be discipled, and sit under their apostolic teaching. And so who of you are on Instagram? Come on, put up your hands. Okay, some of you, some of you on Instagram. Okay. I think Jesus was the greatest Instagrammer of all time. Okay, and I think if he had a page, it'd probably look like that. Okay. He was the greatest Instagrammer of all time. I don't know what it would have been called um, back then. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, so Jesus only... He's only following two. Who who do you think that is? God and the Holy Spirit. Okay, I had to think of some number of how many followers because there's much more. And I don't know how many posts there are in the Bible in total, but I I sort of threw a number up there. And we can't edit his profile, okay? But um, I think he was the greatest Instagram of all. I mean, look look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. He's walking along the sea. Okay, people have heard he's a teacher. And it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. It says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Just like that. I mean, instant followers. I mean, if you're on Instagram, imagine you could be that good. You just say, come follow me. You haven't even posted anything yet. And you got followers. But that's Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me. And they left everything just like that. They left everything. Matthew 4, verse 21 to 22. He says, going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called to them. And immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. So just like, cheers, I'm, I'm out of here. Okay, but the context to that is it wasn't just that they, they didn't consider what they were doing and just followed. They knew that Jesus was a prophet. He was a rabbi and he was a teacher. They didn't know he was the son of God just yet. But in those days, if a prophet or if a teacher or a rabbi said, come follow me, it was a massive honor. Because then you were going to sit under that person's teaching. You were going to learn from them. And they were going to model something to you. Because education was very, very important back in those days. Especially religious education. So when, when these guys, when Jesus came past and said, come follow me. It was, a, it was a great honor. And so they dropped everything. They, 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 they left everything behind and they followed him. And so Jesus knows what it's like to get followers. He also know, knows what it's like to be unfo- unfollowed. Be honest now. Has anybody unfollowed you yet on Facebook or for something that you said or on Instagram or whatever? Did anybody, anybody, anybody been unfollowed? Maybe it's something Christian that you said. Okay, you stuck to your guns or you, you stuck to the word of God and people have unfollowed. Jesus, I want to let you know, don't cry, okay? Jesus knows what that feels like. So in John chapter 6, verse 60 to 69, it says, now there's, there's a story behind this, but I'll get to that afterwards. It says, on hearing it, many disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Isn't that the, the thing of today? Everybody's just offended. Well, they were offended then. He says, then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say this. Why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He then says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. 
And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, in the previous chapter, Jesus, Jesus was actually feeding the hungry. You remember the stories of the breaking? He broke bread and, and it multiplied and all the rest. And so there were many, many people there. I mean, the people liked Jesus because I'm sure he was a loving guy, okay? But there was more than that. He gave free food. Okay, so if you didn't have lunch that day, you followed Jesus, you were guaranteed probably to be fed, okay, somewhere along the line. And so a lot of people that followed Jesus were there for, for what they could get out of him, okay? And so Jesus knew this, so he challenged some of the, the, the religious teachers in those meetings and said something about, you know, if you need to follow me, you need to eat, drink my blood and, and eat my flesh and all that kind of stuff. And he was actually talking about um, what we celebrate today in terms of what was to come. And they were like, no ways, we can't, we can't do this. And it says, many people there wanted their immediate physical needs met. Jesus knew that for many, he was a means to a selfish end. He knew that they really needed was the bread of life, which would cost those often, and even to the end, their life. And they weren't prepared to do that. So Jesus knew what it was like to be canceled as well. Who have ever been canceled on Facebook? Okay, were your, were your account, Sean? Okay, I'm not going to ask you why your account was put on hold, Sean. But he's at least honest, Okay. So Jesus knows what it's like to be canceled, ultimately canceled, where they put him on a cross. The religious teachers were fed up with, with what, he, what he taught. It was counterculture to the culture of the day. He taught a kingdom culture. And so people ultimately canceled him. And so he says to the 12 you know, who remained, all the disciples left. He says they were disciples, they were followers, and they left. And he says to the 12, are you going to leave me too? And they said, well, you have the, the words of eternal life. And so a lot of what I'm saying today doesn't sound too much different from today, does it? People come to church, they come to things like this and say, well, what is God going to do for me if I give my life to him? What is, can you give me some sort of guarantee that if I give my life to Jesus, all my problems will go away? Um, that my, my disease will go? Or, or what is he going to do for me? And we forget actually that the reason that you can even come here is because he did the ultimate thing. If he did anything after that, it's a blessing. But the fact that he did everything to get us in first that he died on the cross for our sins, that he made a way. And often I think about, can I ask Jesus for anything other than the fact that he's already given me salvation? My eternity is secured with him and that I have a heaven and a future to look forward to. And so salvation is free. It's 100% free. But what I want to talk about tonight in terms of follow is that discipleship will cost you and me everything. Now, if you use Instagram or Facebook, have you ever read their terms and conditions? Anybody taking the time? One person has read the terms and conditions. I tried. It's, it's very confusing. It doesn't make sense. And there's probably entrapment in there somewhere that they'll get you anywhere or find a reason to cancel you. But you know that Jesus had T's and C's for discipleship. You know what T's and C's stand for, right? Terms and conditions. It's, the, it's always written in small print, okay? You know, the great thing about the Bible is it's not just written, written in black and white. It's in red as, as well. And so there's no small print when it comes to Jesus' T's and C's, okay? And so I want to look. There, 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 there are three things that I want to look at tonight in terms of what does Jesus require of us in terms of being his disciple? So if we are called to make disciples, then what does it mean for us to be a disciple? It's very important to actually understand that. And I was actually looking at this and I thought, oh, I don't know if I can put this verse up as my favorite verse. Who posts scriptures on their Instagram and their Facebook? I know, I know a lot of older people do. Okay, my mother-in-law loves to put scriptures up on her Facebook with pretty flowers and, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, generally it's, it's, it's their favorite verses. Um, and I know you're all guilty of that. You put your favorite verses up. But what happens, would this be your favorite verse? Matthew 16, 24 to 27. Okay. And I'm going to, I want to talk about three things in here and we'll elaborate a little bit. But just in the light of what Andrew's been saying, shifting our focus, shifting our lives, realigning what it means to be church, do church, live church, and actually model what Jesus wants us to model as disciples. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. Everyone say whoever. 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 That means us. Whoever wants to be my disciple must 
deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So what are the three terms and conditions? Number one, deny, pick up your cross, and follow me. So let's dive in quickly. So what is this talking about deny yourself? I think everything in the world we live in today is, is contrary to that. It's, it's what's good for you. What makes you happy? You know, what floats your boat? What blows your hair back? Um, you know, your truth is your truth. You know, as long as, as long as it makes you feel better, you know, 10 steps to, to an abundant life. I think many churches across the world are full of these, these sort of TED Talk type of preachers and... Um, you know, 10 ways to this, five ways to happiness, uh, uh, six ways to a healthy marriage. And, you know, these things are good. But it's all about how can my life be better? But Jesus starts off right, right off. He's actually in this scripture here. He's actually talking to the disciples. And later on, we'll look at a scripture where he's actually talking to a crowd. But he's talking to the disciples here because they kind of like, you know, what do you mean? What does it mean to serve? You're talking about going to the, take up a cross, okay? So it says, now the dictionary of Bible themes, def- I went to a big dictionary of Bible themes, can you believe it? It says, define self-denial as this, a willingness to deny one's self's possession or status in order to grow in holiness and commitment to God. The words Jesus used in the original language for deny yourself were strong terms similar in the meaning to Paul's wording in Philippians 3, 7 to 8, which is this. It says, Paul saying, but whatever I gain, I, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so you, you, you remember Paul talks a lot about where he's denying his flesh. He's overcoming the flesh. He talks about the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh that was there that he had to overcome. He had to beat his flesh down. And so part of denying ourselves in terms of coming to Jesus or following Jesus' disciple is that we, we put to death our fleshly desires. We put to death the carnal self or the natural man. We bring them into submission to God's word so that we don't give in to sin. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And so when we come to Christ, when he says you need to deny yourself, these are the first term and condition. We get saved, we give our lives to Jesus, and he says, right, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Oh, did I really consider that? Is that what it's going to cost me? And you know what it means. I mean, the scriptures are clear. You know, I mean, there's no better place where you, you denying yourself gets tested in your marriage and if you have four kids like me, okay? <laughs> so often, you know, not often, but dealing myself will have a disagreement. And, you know, you know when you, you think you're right, which is, a, which is, Steve says, often. I know Steve struggles with that. <laughs> no, I often think I'm right. Ask my kids. Um, and so, you know, you, 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 you may be right, but you might be so wrong in the way that you're actually communicating or expressing it. My son's nodding his head over there, sitting there. So he's not lying. And so, you know, in, in, in relationships, we are tested. Uh, and and they often I have to go back to them and say, you know what? The way I communicated, the way I said that, what I did was wrong. And, you know, as a father, you know, you want to be respected and you, 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 you want your kids to obey you and all the rest. But we mess it up many times. And we've got to humble ourselves. And we, what is that? We are living an example that we get it wrong and that we need to make it right. And even in, in our marriage, there's oftentimes we will have disagreements or we'll, we'll, you know, we won't do things right. And I'll have to come to you and say, love, that the way I spoke to you or, or what I did or how I communicated or the fact that I didn't do that. You've got to die to yourself. Oh, man, and this pride thing, eh? Guys, <laughs> this pride thing, it's got to die. But it, it, it strives to live with every single ounce of its being. And so 
There's many areas where we've got to die. We've got to deny ourselves. Uh, you know, we all have these plans, you know. God says he has plans to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. And we're very quick to say, Lord, this is what my hope looks like. This is what my future must look like. And this is what prosperity looks like. And I hope you come through with all those things very quickly. And if you don't, well, I've got a plan anyway. And so I'm going this way, okay? And so, you know, even our careers, even our futures, everything, because we've given our lives to Jesus, say, Lord, well, what do you want? You know, what do you want? Self-denial. Perhaps the most significant way people practice self-denial is how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Self-denial is, based for, is, is the basis for Christian fellowship and service in the church. And Philippians 2, 4 to 8 says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, and even death on the cross. And says, be mindful of these things as we love one another. Put each other's interests above yourselves. Deny yourself. So T and C's. Number one, deny yourself. What does that mean for you? As you're sitting right here, what does it mean for you? Where does it challenge you? Secondly, take up your cross. Now, this is something that's, you know, we, we, we all have a cross. Every one of us has a cross. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say, take up your cross. So we have it. Now, it's our choice whether we're going to pick that cross up or we're going to keep it down there. Imagine Jesus didn't take that cross up. We wouldn't be sitting here today. And it's amazing that actually he had to pick it up. In fact, there was some poor guy, I forget his name, where Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea. I mean, it wasn't even his cross. Hey? Simon, Simon of? Simon of Serene. Yeah, Jesus was obviously struggling under the weight of the cross, and he had to carry the cross. You know, that's a beautiful symbol, hey? Sometimes we've got to carry each other's crosses. Are we prepared to do that? Because crosses are not nice things to carry. They only go one way, which leads to death. And so Jesus picked up his cross. You know, when Jesus spoke about a cross, when he's talking to his disciples, they didn't fully yet realize that he was going to die on a cross. But they knew what crosses were. I mean, they were everywhere. In the Roman world, people were crucified all the time. So when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, pick up your cross. cross they knew exactly what he was um, talking about. So therefore, Jesus' command to take up a cross and follow me is a call to self-abasement and self-sacrifice. We need to be willing to die in order to follow Jesus. Dying to self is an absolute surrender to God. Now, many of us think, oh, well, you know, I've got a cross to bear. And it, you, you, you think about, oh, it's a difficult relationship with work or it's a, a crazy father or mother-in-law or I don't know what it is for you. But that's not what Jesus was talking about when he says take up your cross, your struggles that you have around you. He says in this world you will have trouble, you will have struggles, but that's not what he's talking about. He says this thing, this death that lies before you, dying to yourself, deny yourself, die to yourself, pick up your cross. Because he knew the end, what the end was for him. It was death. Okay? Whenever Jesus went, he drew crowds. Their view of the Messiah really was what he would do for them. And it was often distorted. They thought Christ would immediately usher in a restored kingdom, Luke 19, 11. They believed he would free them from oppressive rule of the Roman occupiers. Some hoped he would continue to provide free lunches for everybody. <laughs> Jesus' statement that following him requires taking up the cross made people think twice about their motivations and level of commitment. It's quite a sobering thing, eh? If you think about the scripture, Jesus says, deny yourself. If you want to be my disciple, that's every one of us, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And then he says, follow me. And this is where it gets hectic. You thought the first two were, were, were tough. Who remembers the story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man? Okay. He comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He hadn't even grasped it, like, is there something I need to do to have eternal life? He said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. 
if you would enter life, keep the, command, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. The man said, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And the young man heard, when that young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, I mean, this is, this is, this is what they say. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter, in reply, see, said, See, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit down on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. Listen to this. This is great. This is great news. There's some good news in this. We'll receive a hundredfold, okay, and we'll inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so discipleship has a cost to it. And they were beginning to realize this. He knew. There was only one disciple that lived to a ripe old age. Who was it? John, Jesus knew even as he was talking to them that every, every one of them was going to die for their faith. Who was, there was even one who, was, who got crucified upside down? It was Peter, hey? Peter, Peter said, I'm not, imagine this, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way Jesus Christ was. And he was crucified upside down. I mean, that's massive. And so Jesus is challenging the disciples, his future leaders. This is what you're going to need to model. Right until death, he knew their futures. I don't know what, God, what the future God has for you, but Jesus does. And so we need, to, we need to think deeply. We need to consider what Jesus is saying when he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And here we see Jesus in Luke 14, 25 to 30. Now he's talking to the crowds, okay? Now, there's a lot of churches around the world where, hey, man, if you can have a, a big crowd, then it's great. You know, how many likes can we get on our church Instagram page? You know, on the preacher's preach or that everyone's checking up and uh, the people leave the service. Oh, that was amazing. And, and there were masses of crowds. And so my aim tonight is not to thin the crowds out because we're already thin tonight. Many people are away. So I don't want Basil to get upset with me that next week then there's only half of us sitting here. But you know, the crazy thing is that Jesus actually did this on purpose because he was not interested in followers in terms of you know, like he was interested in disciples, okay? And so we're not here, even as Josh Jen, and we're not here to entertain people. We're not here to, tell, to you know, teach what tickles people's ears. And even in this, this ch- the teaching of, of this is church, I mean, some of that stuff is hard. I've had to readjust and rethink the way I do things. When, when, when Andrew's talking about suffering for the gospel, I think, am I really suffering? Like, is there anything in my life where I could count that as suffering, you know, in terms for the, for the, for the cross, for, for his work. And yes, as elders, we give up a lot of time and we spend a lot of time with you guys and, and in meetings and trying to hear the heart of God. And it takes quite a lot of time to prep this, even when you've got a full-time job and you've got to squeeze it in with family and all the rest. But that's not suffering. But yet Jesus calls us to live at, you know, calls me to live at that level. And so in Luke 14, 25 to 30, Jesus is talking to the crowds. There's a whole crowd of people saying, hey, maybe we'll get a free lunch today or whatever. He says, now a large crowd were going along with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me, now he starts the stuff again. Eh? He's just spoken to the disciples. <laughs> now he's going for the crowd. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, and this is from the Amplified Version, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude towards God. Look what he says. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross 
expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow after me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living and, if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of me, because of faith in me. He cannot be my disciple. I mean, just even if we just pause there for a minute, that is, that's a crowd thinner right there. Imagine if we preach like that every week. You know, often, often I think, and I don't think we're so guilty of that, but but I think often a soft gospel gets preached. And, and yes, Jesus loves you. And, and he wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants, to, he wants to be your Lord and Savior. And he's done everything that he can to, to, to bring us to a place where we can enter into his presence because of what he's done on the cross. But he died for that. You know, as Andrew was saying, there was blood was shed for the fact that you can sit here today. Blood was shed. He gave his only son that you could be here and in a relationship with Jesus. And, you know, often people come and they say, oh, man, I, I want to go to heaven. So if I've got to have some guarantee, well, Jesus is it. But sometimes there's a soft gospel that's get preached. And, we, and we, we respond to a soft gospel. And when life gets tough and when discipleship kicks in and we've got to deny ourselves, we've got to pick up our cross, we've got to follow him, then we go, ah, I'm going to press that unfollow button. You know, we look for one. You know how hard I look for an unfollow button? I can't find one, but there actually is. There's one that you've got for games, and you, I was going to have fun with that, but I, I couldn't find one. I was quite disappointed. But we get to that place where we want to sort of know, man, this is crazy, and we press that unfollow button. Or maybe we haven't actually pressed the follow button all the way down. But that challenge is with, with, <laughs> for you guys to decide. Um, and so a couple of things, and I won't be too much longer. What is it? What was he saying to the crowd? He says a true disciple is willing to elevate their faith over their family. In other words, our loyalty and love for Jesus. He, was, he wasn't saying that we need to literally hate our brothers and sisters. But he says in comparison to our love for him and our dedication to him and our, our commitment to him and what he loves, it, need, it almost looks like hate. And he says, in other words, our loyalty and love for Jesus must so far exceed our love and loyalty to our family that it would seem like hate in comparison. Many people have been disowned because they have chosen Jesus over the religion of their families. Okay? Many Muslims, many people of the world have been completely disowned, kicked out of their homes onto the street uh, because they have said, I'm going to follow Jesus. What are, our, what are our priorities when it comes to family in our church life? Now, Jesus is not saying we neglect our family because we want our family who don't know Jesus, obviously, to know him. So it doesn't mean we neglect them. But how often do we neglect the gathering of the saints because we have a, a family bride on or we have a, a something? We say, oh, well, you know. It's a tough one, isn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. Is this thing called the church, is this thing to, in, in terms of what I love more important than anything else? Do we shift and we adjust? A true disciple models sacrifice over self-centeredness. Can we grab that little one there quickly? That is what joy of the Lord looks like. <laughs> a true disciple models sacrifice over self-centeredness. In other words, when Jesus is saying that we must even hate our own lives, it means that we must trade in our will and desires for his will and his desires for our lives. Our future and life are in his hands and in his direction. For many Christians and for many of you and for me as well, this can be a hard thing sometimes where we really got to lay our lives down. We have our plans. We, we know where we want to go. We know what we want to do. But Lord, what is it that you want us to do? A true disciple is willing to, to accept pain rather than always expecting pleasure and an easy life. Oh, I didn't like that one. But we're all going to face some pain in our lives. And it's that that tests our commitment. It tests our resolve. Do we love him even in the midst of difficult circumstances? I know there's many of you right now that are sitting in painful situations. And yes, while we trust God to take us in and through them, and there's the grace of God that carries us through them, we will have pain in our lives. Are we going to press the follow, unfollow button when it, it gets too painful? But we're willing to accept that sometimes even in this thing of sacrifice, that it's going to cost us. It's going to hurt. You know, I know some of you are hosting, and it's hurting you financially, okay? And some of you, because you're hosting people for 412, you're going to be, in a sense, out of pocket for the next month or whatever that may be. But you're doing it because of your love for, for Jesus and his church. 
A true disciple elevates relationships over religion. And so Jesus is wanting us to have a deep, intimate relationship with him, abiding in his presence, not just having a religious experience. I hope you're not here just to have a religious experience, but that you really encounter Jesus. And then the scripture continues. He says this in that scripture. He says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a watchtower for his gods, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to finish? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is unable to finish the building, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. How many of you have seen on, on, on social media, there's been many sort of Christ, like well-known Christian singers and pastors and people that now, years later, has any of you, they sort of publicly acknowledge that they're no longer following Jesus. I think from, from well-known worship bands, guys said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore, or they have reasons um, why they're not following him. And this is such a, a sobering scripture. And I was really thinking about this. You know, sometimes when, we, when you responded to the call of salvation the first time you gave your life to Jesus, did we really count the cost? Because, you know, we're busy renovating now, and it's, it's crazy. Redoing a bathroom. The whole family's living in the lounge. What fun. <laughs> and so I just want them to get finished. There's dust everywhere. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's uncomfortable. It messes your whole routine up. But... What happens if we didn't count the cost and now we sit with a half-finished bathroom? What do you think my marriage would look like? <laughs> it wouldn't look very good, would it? Okay, <laughs> wow, you know? And, uh, you know, we are six people. Imagine this. We're six people and we have one bathroom at the moment. Everybody's got a shower and it's, it's chaos. But I couldn't live like that. But I count, we had to count the cost. And I think so many of us, uh, and so many people out there, they come, they give their lives to Jesus, they don't actually understand what it means to do that and the cost that it's going to cost them. And because they didn't count the cost, they fall away and they don't make it. If you have not counted the cost of what it means to Jesus' disciple, it's highly unlikely that you're not going to make it to the end. Okay? And Jesus is saying this, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you need to deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And my prayer for all of us is like Timothy 2, verse 4 to 4, chapter 4, verse 7 to 8 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so ending off, my challenge to us tonight is this, is are you a fan or are you a follower? What's the difference? A fan of Jesus likes what Jesus said, you know. And often we go through our Facebook posts or we listen to a preacher and we click the like button. But did it do something in you? Did it change something in you? You know, we might walk away even from a service tonight and like what was preached, but did it go, it just went into our head, did it go into our heart? Was there something that shifted? A follower of Jesus does what Jesus asks. A fan lives for self, followers live for others. Fans strive to get a blessing, followers strive to be a blessing. Fans just double, followers are all in. I think nothing exemplifies being a follower more than surrender and obedience. After all, someone who follows a leader, you follow them. You do what they ask. You, 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 you mimic, as there was a prophetic word. Who had that prophetic word? It was Ludwig. You want to share that quickly? Just quickly. Uh, hi. Uh, so the picture I got. Um, so I walked through um, one of the hardware stores, and there's this little tap that hangs like this. That if you, you can like take it, and you can wash your dishes with it. And so Josh walks to it, and he pulls that thing, and it goes boing, 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 like this. And so he's standing, he's standing, he goes, he's up and down, he's boing. So he takes this thing and he's like, boing, and he's like boinging up and down with this thing. <laughs> and so the picture I got was that and a bird and a whole bunch of things. But essentially what, what Josh is doing is he's mimicking 
this thing, the same way as I saw this bird mimicking a thing that God, like there's a hand that pulls it and the thing goes like this and the bird goes. Anyway, all that to say is I saw God's hand coming down and pulling us and saying that we must mimic Jesus and also that he's the power, that he gives us the power to be able to mimic him. That's good. That was very comforting when I heard that because then I, I knew I was sort of on the right track for tonight. But just one or two scriptures before I end. 1 John 2, 4 to 6 says this, and this is for us in terms of doing exactly that, what Ludwig is saying. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John 14, 15 to 17 says, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you, this is so amazing. We don't have to do this by ourselves. He will give you another helper who will be with you forever. That helper is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he, because he does not see or know him. You know him because he lives with you and will be in you. And so fans often, you know, um, especially on people's, my wife likes to call Facebook brag book. <laughs> and I think it's true to an extent because, you know, often it's everybody's perfect life up there, isn't it? You know, it's just like nobody puts pictures of, you know, Whatever it is, that looks terrible. It's like, and sometimes I look at that stuff and we get jealous. Eh? <laughs> so I look at people's lives. Oh, they're overseas again. You know, they're in that place again. <laughs> Been to Mauritius five times in a row. You know, it's like, ugh. But, you know, people's lives look together. But I think us as true disciples, we're honest with one another. You know, we are broken. Every one of us is broken. Every one of us is going through, through stuff that we, we have to allow God to work in us and through us, and he does it in relationships with one another. And so, you know, fans have it all together. Followers know that we're a work in progress. So have you pressed the unfollow button or the follow button? Have you pressed it? Tonight, as you're sitting here, when you think back to the time that you first got saved, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing a preach on this or like this, and it's, it's maybe quite a heavy one, but have you pressed that follow button all the way down? Right down. You know, where you press it so far down that it's broken, don't pop up again. You smash that thing and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I know, I'm, I, I know I need to die, deny myself. I know I need to pick up my cross. I know I need to follow you in a deeper way. And guys, we know that this is not a decision you make 100% when you first give your lives to Jesus. This is a daily walk. We deny ourselves daily. We pick up our crosses daily. We follow him daily together and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and life's been tough. Maybe you hadn't counted the cost properly. And you're sitting considering, you're sitting here, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I, I want to, you know, you're tempted. Your hand's that far away from that unfollow button you're about to, to walk out or you, you're about to give up. I want to encourage you, don't. Because every single one of you sitting here have been in that place. I've been tempted to push that unfollow button because it's been difficult. But what did, remember what, what, what um, Peter says? He says, Jesus says, will you also go? Will you go? If you press the unfollow button in your life, what, you're going back to what? You're going back to fishing? You know, the disciples did that as well. We know Peter denied Jesus three times. I mean, think of the things he saw. But he denied Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be unfollowed by people who were closest to him. He pressed that unfollow button. Where did he go? He went back to fishing. What have you gone back to? What in your life right now through difficulty, what have you gone back to? What have you been drawn back to? Unbelief? Have you been drawn back to doubt? Have you been drawn back to bitterness and unforgiveness? Or whatever? What is it that's keeping you from moving forward? Peter went back, but he also came back. And Jesus said to him, Jesus lovingly restored him on that beach. He says, go and feed my sheep. He said, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. He like asked him three times, like, do you love me? Every time was the three times that he denied him. He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. 
And almost like you could imagine in the last time he said, you love me, it was like a crack in his voice. Like, what do you mean? You know I love you. Um, and Jesus said, go and feed my sheep. And so God loves you. That even if you've pressed the unfollow button, even if you haven't even pressed it all the way down, Jesus is calling us to be his disciples. That as we learn about this as church and we look forward to the apostles' teaching in the 412 coming up, we're laying down our lives again. We're saying, Lord, we don't want to do this Christian thing our own way. We want to do it your way. What does that look like? And so I want to encourage you that you don't deny yourself alone. We deny ourselves together. We speak into each other's lives. You, you speak up. You say, man, I'm, this is something I'm really struggling with. Hold me accountable. Help me win at this thing. So will you commit to loving one another? Will you commit to loving Jesus? But I do want to make a call in the light of what I've said. You don't just want to be a fan. You don't want to just have a religious experience. You want to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. And maybe as we close our eyes, I'd love to to pray for you. Maybe you've never really pushed the follow button. You've been in and out of church. You've had religious experiences, but you've, you've never really fully surrendered. And I know what I'm asking and the realize, in the realization of what I've said tonight, that this is going to cost you. It might even cost you your life, but Jesus died for your life. And you know, as he says in his word, that we have got an eternity to look forward to. That anything that you give up here on earth will be given to you a hundredfold in what is to come. I think that's a winning deal. And so, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word tonight, Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our model. Lord, you are our example. And, Lord, I know that what you're asking us to do is not easily done and definitely not easily done in the power of our own flesh. But, Lord, we can only do it through the power and the infilling of your Holy Spirit, which you promised us. And, Lord, I pray for even us as Christians tonight, Lord, that that if we need to push that follow button down just a little bit harder, that you through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to do that. But not in isolation, Lord, but in family, that we know that we we can do this together. But Father, I really do want to pray tonight for those who perhaps never, ever pushed the follow button in the first place. And so if that's you this evening, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never given control over to him, I want to give you an opportunity. And I want you to be brave.